Welcome to WTF Crypto, where we peel back the layers of the onion of the crypto universe to understand what's really going on and how it affects you and your portfolio. I'm your host, Mark Lurie, and as a caveat, nothing in this podcast is legal or investing advice. And to the listener, if you like this podcast, or even if you hate it, I want to hear from you. Our team works hard every week to find the topics you care about most with the most thoughtful people in the industry. So please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to let me know what you think of the show. We read every single one. Thanks for listening. Today, we're trying a different episode format where we talk with key people on the Shipyard team about their hot takes on crypto. To begin, we're talking about the parallels between public companies and crypto teams with Angie Maltesi, Shipyard's chief of staff. I'm so excited to have you. We talk every day, and uh, sometimes I wish other people could sit in on our conversations because they always end up in some very interesting uh, intellectual place. So uh, to start, Angie, can you give uh, the listeners a little bit of context for your background prior to Shipyard so that they have a little bit of understanding of what makes you a good guide with respect to uh, public companies and and then what you do at Shipyard and so how you know about crypto companies? Yeah, absolutely. So prior to working for Shipyard Software, I worked for a global management consulting firm in the strategy division. A lot of my job was working with executives, so CTOs, chief digital officers, or CEOs, primarily helping them think through innovative business models that they could stand up. I had an interest in artificial intelligence, and I primarily was interested in like the capabilities of new and emerging technology. What can we do with like large-scale data teams? And essentially, how can we find new ways to generate revenue or minimize our operational expenses? So the companies that I worked with were like multi-billion dollar companies. They were massive organizations. And then transitioning from that space into the world of crypto has been fascinating. So you have jumped in the, into the proverbial ice bath of crypto from the world of big companies. And one thing that happens, I think, when you do that so suddenly is the differences are very stark, right? I'm, I'm used to crypto at this point. <laughs> and so some things don't amaze me and aren't as absurd as, as when I first started. So let's start talking about that. You know, in particular, public companies, they have a lot of stakeholders, customers and investors, and they talk about them and work with them in really specific ways. Crypto teams have similar needs because they have users and and they have token holders who care about the value of tokens. And so like in a lot of ways, like it's an analogous, but in other ways it's not. So I'd love for you to just kind of talk us through how you think about the comparisons and what's most striking to you uh, about what crypto does or doesn't do. Yeah, you brought up a really interesting point in terms of the different stakeholders. What I found really interesting when I jumped into the space was that the stakeholders are very similar. When you work with a public organization, uh, you you know you report to your investors. There's these shareholders. There's like a board of directors, and then there's the employees. And you have this like complex ecosystem in which the CEO's responsibilities or other executives have very specific and defined responsibilities and ways of engagement for how they communicate about their business within specific timelines. 
And then you sort of jumped into the crypto world. Same stakeholders, arguably. So for instance, you can think about token holders as the shareholders of the organization. However, what I found kind of interesting about this particular space is that it didn't have the same level of terms of engagement. If you were a project lead, you didn't feel the responsibility to talk about your business in the same specific way that a CEO of like a larger public organization might talk about it. And what I mean by that is because it feels so informal in crypto, you might forget that your words have an impact on the markets. You know, I remember you asked me that question when I first joined the company around the way that we do like business development or the way that we articulate our better business or even how we talk about our specific users and demographic. Uh, both companies, so like public and private, have a responsibility to the users that they serve. However, what I find kind of interesting is that crypto leans, if there's like a little diagram on like the user obsession, I would say like crypto leans very heavily on the user obsession, whereas public companies are trying to balance you know, shareholder needs. And for them, the user and shareholder are separate entities. That's interesting. I mean, I that seems to create a big tension, right? Because if you're a public company, like you need to be communicating to shareholders, but there's all these regulations about what you can and can't say. And that has some overflow implications where like then you can't always say what you want to say to customers because you're constrained about how you talk to your investors. It's like it seems tough to not be able to say what you want. You're totally like, you're absolutely right. I think it is really tough to be in that position because you have to be very meticulous with the words that you use. And I'd be curious to hear your perspective on like why that regulation exists. In my opinion, I feel that that guidelines or that pressure on the executive of a public company exists to not cause like drastic changes in the market in terms of the value of the shareholder price. You know, um, there's specific timelines that they can talk about specific things and how they articulate that. There's like talking points around that. And there's like a, a very smart group of people that have thought through how to communicate losses as well as like gains of the business. I think it's tough. Like as a public company leader, what, what you say moves markets and you are legally responsible to your shareholders. Like a public company CEO has a fiduciary duty to act in the best interests of shareholders, not users. There is no legal obligation or stated obligation uh, to act in the best interest of users, its shareholders. And so that's like a very clear mandate in the law. And you constantly are worried about being sued, right? I mean, Matt Levine has a great Bloomberg article or you know email list, and he constantly talks about how everything is securities fraud whether you know tokens or whether you know stock goes up or down like what you say at least in the context of securities is going to annoy someone and so it it creates this weird dynamic which a isn't necessarily best for users but like is is a little bit stifling on speech it's hard to be honest and so then you see people like Elon Musk get up and they like seem like they're just kind of spouting out and being honest and they get sued right and left uh and i think there's good reasons for that there's great reasons for that not good reasons, there are great reasons for that. Because a lot of people have done frauds in the securities industry. And like over 200 years, we've learned that the hard way that like, that like you can't just let the leader of a public company spout off. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, the SEC settled with Elon Musk and made sure his like PR team and legal team reviews every tweet. That was part of the settlement for his like, you know, I'm going to take Twitter private. But it, 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 it's tough because it stifles speech. Um, and I don't know the, where the right balance is. And I, I'm not even sure like how in public companies they, they strike that balance. Like, like how much do these people have second, third, and fourth reviews of everything they'd actually say before they say them, you know? Yeah, those are really great points. I, what I find interesting within crypto, and I've seen this quite common now, and it seems to be just this pattern of you spun up a project and you have this um, charismatic leader who's just very passionate about a specific thing that they're selling. And then you have this group of individuals who effectively act as like shareholders because they, they buy into that project expecting some sort of return, whether that's like a token. And they say that very publicly. They say, I'm doing this because I believe in the growth. I want to see you scale. I want to see this get bigger. I want everyone to use this. And so all of a sudden you have this like very clear um, articulation of incentives between why somebody is supporting something, but there's no kind of regulatory kind of body that puts that person that all of a sudden has this money, this influence, has this like level of trust from their demographic, from their user base um, to, to not take that money and run. And I think that's sort of why rug pulls are just so common in the space. Yeah. It's like a lot of times you, you just look at these people spatting off and it's like you can see a rug pull a mile away, you know, and it's remarkable. And it's frustrating because, you know, it creates a playing field that makes it harder for projects that are trying to be responsible to be responsible, right? It's like, how do you compete with a, a Wonderland guy whose CFO is like a normal fraudster? And, you know, for those listening, I, I don't actually know too much about that situation, but you know, it, it turned out some senior leaders of a project were known bad actors. And it, it creates a lot of noise that hides the signal. And you got to say something for public markets where that that's less of a problem because people aren't allowed to just do random crazy things without suffering consequences, you know? One thing I would add is if you can think about a business, the analogy I always use is in biology, we have like biological ecosystems where we have on a, and like there's a system for everything. You can kind of make it on a micro level, like a cell or even further down to that. And you can think about, or on a broader scale would be like the ecosystem of the ocean. And so I tend to think about companies as ecosystems. And I tend to think about their specific players within that ecosystem that if they're gone, you know, they really disrupt the balance of the organization. And so in the context of public companies, you know, you had mentioned like those stakeholders, the, the, your shareholders, like they represent sort of the biggest animals or things in this ecosystem that can do the most damage. And so as an executive, that's really where you put all of your effort in. However, within the context of crypto companies, like your ecosystem is really fragile. You know, if a bunch of token holders might not hold a material amount of tokens within your business, however, they might have really massive networks or like social media is a really big thing in crypto then all of a sudden that becomes a problem for the organization from a reputational risk perspective. And so from a crypto perspective, if you're like an executive running a crypto project, you just don't know the influence of the users that come into your Discord. And so you sort of have to like pander to everyone. You have to try to make everyone happy because you just don't know who has the lever and the ability to like completely crush the spirit of what you're trying to do. Super interesting. 
and you know human connection is a way to grease the wheels of emotions and so if you create community then if anyone does have an issue they're going to give the project the benefit of the doubt because they feel a personal connection yeah i think uh the psychological aspects of being you know like the human aspect of that relationship between like the project leaders and like the sense of community is just also really interesting dynamic so you talked about the level of trust you know how do you how do people really trust a particular project how do they know that they can trust when a project leader says sorry we we didn't deliver right now but we will in xyz weeks and then somebody says, okay, you know, I'm, I'm choosing to believe you. I think that's also kind of the interesting tactics that we see from like web two and like web three for how we form those relationships with others. I think in crypto in specific, it's like your standard go out into an arena and talk to the people, shake their hands. But when I say arena, I mean this, this digital world that we call an arena where we have uh, an image of our faces, this like name that we've come up for ourselves, this personality that we presented and curated and thought very carefully about our digital representation. And then we go out and we try to form relationships with others to, to sway an opinion. Mm. You know, when you put it like that, it, it makes interacting with uh, a, a community in crypto a lot more like politics than like yes. a public company Yes, leader. that is such a good analogy to how I, yeah, that's exactly how I think a lot of people really approach being a leader of like a crypto project. Because what you're really incentivized to care most about is how many people like you. Very similar to, I think, like a politician. Well, wow, there's so many analogs to politics. I think we probably should do a whole episode with uh, some politicians to talk about those. I think that's a great analogs. idea, you know, asking questions like, how do you instill trust? How do you get all these people to vote for you? How do you go out and do community planning? Because that's essentially what we do as a, like, for instance, as a community manager, like your job is to go out there and gather the community to talk about their concerns and like to rally around a specific effort and to get them to, to drive them to a specific behavior that you want. Yeah, it's like, how do you build a movement? Yeah. And it turns out like, there's people who professionally build movements. I know. I, <laughs> and we should yeah, talk I to them. Yeah, I do wonder why, or maybe there are, like, uh, there aren't, like, political planners in crypto and just, like, these political advisors. Or maybe they are, and we just don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe they're on their way, and we just haven't seen them yet. What are some lessons that you think we can learn from the public markets that we can apply to how we conduct ourselves, our value systems, how we engage with the people that are part of our community? I think that public companies work at a certain scale and have executives who have been doing this, you know, for so long that they've worked out. It's like a machine, you know, like, you know, how you interact with shareholders and the quote, the market as a public company, every quarter, you uh, do an update. You know, you publish quarterly update, you do an annual update, you have analyst calls, right? There's like a cadence and a system to it that people appreciate and keeps people happy and satisfies expectations, right? And a lot of those patterns that the broader framework for that has been set by the regulators, like when do you have to have updates? Uh, and and what do you have to disclose? But there's a whole lot of best practices around like how you do that and how you keep stakeholders happy that in crypto, like I just, you know, is a little bit haphazard and I think could use some structuring. Um, and I think the lessons from public companies could help with that. 
thing I I would hope doesn't happen is that it stifles the ability to kind of speak frankly and honestly um, because of like litigation in particular. And, and that's, that would be too bad because I don't think it's good when people are stifled. Um, but I also think it's really important to depart from, to not do it exactly the same because the reality is that in crypto, the token holders are also the users, or at least they should be. And so that creates a very different dynamic. It's also like who who is the a project core member actually accountable to, right? Like it's not the token holders. Is it the users? If so, who determines what the users want and what's in the best interest of users, right? Uh, what if the best interest of users, you know, is what if what users say they want is illegal? Um, there's just all these, you know, it's it's a it's a tough situation, but I think there's definitely lessons to pull from public companies. And I think there's a lot of people who depart too much and that is a problem. Yeah, I would echo all of the things that you had mentioned and stress the importance of just essentially being mindful of what you say and recognizing that because if you're in a specific position or you're part of a team in a crypto project, for instance, whatever role you may hold, your words may hold a different kind of weight. You know, you and I talk a lot about that, like these like positions of power, essentially, these positions of power influence the way that things um, may be impacted. It might influence the way that the community interprets or a specific like initiative or part of the roadmap or even some words that you might say. And so like learning to be very mindful and trying to think about how might this be interpreted by like 20,000 people that are reading this, that are in a very sensitive headspace. Maybe they're vulnerable because they feel like they've been scammed by another project. Maybe they're on like their last kind of sense of hope. And I think even the user base that we work with in crypto is just so interesting because it's, it's these people come with like vulnerable, like they come with stories. They come with this baggage from other experiences, especially if you've been in this space for a very long time. And so now it's almost up to like the project leader on, fortunately or unfortunately, to recognize that the people that they're talking to might interpret things in a different way based off the experiences that they've had, which is, I know in our team, like we, we really stress transparency and we stress the importance of how do you authentically communicate your intentions as a project? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And uh, that's a great point. And it, it really speaks to like, at public companies, a lot of different eyes do go on messaging before it goes out. And that's, to your point, that's that has benefits beyond just red tape. It gets a lot of eyes on the problem. And, and it also speaks to the importance of diversity, right? Like if you have a lot of eyes on the problem and they're not diverse, then you're not going to consider the implications <laughs> of what you say or what you're messaging from all angles. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's like a, a real business case for having diversity and, you know, getting feedback on what you do before you do it. Because, yeah, you're right. Like it can be interpreted in, in a bunch of different ways. And, and it's hard to know how things will be interpreted. Communication's hard. Um, Angie, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really glad we got to delve into this. I think we should do these hot takes more often, especially when we notice interesting things uh, that happen in crypto we can just uh, get on in this format and talk about them and share our reflections with the community. Thanks you Thank so you. much. I'm so excited for other listeners of WTF Crypto to hear from other team members 
uh, you talked about the importance of diversity of thought, and I think they're they're going to experience a little bit of our diverse team. And Angie, uh, is there anywhere that people who are listening can follow you or learn more about your thoughts? Probably on the Clipper Discord. I am very shy when it comes to social media. Uh, perhaps one day I'll be releasing my own thought leadership pieces within the Shipyard software website. We have like a pretty robust thought leadership tank in which we write um, our interesting perspectives from all the members of our team. So you'll probably find me there in the, the near term. Sounds good. Well, thanks so much. We appreciate it. All right, it. thank you.